Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. This episode will focus on North Star. It's being recorded in May and released in May of 2021 um, with the goal to connect more of you to the upcoming North Star Conference in June. And we'll have links to North Star registration in the podcast description. But who better to talk about North Star than its co-founders, Ty Mansfield and Jeff Benyon. Welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you, you, Richard. We're really honored to be here. Yeah, happy to be here. And um, uh, this will be kind of a... Uh, I think the order will be as Ty and Jeff will um, introduce themselves, their stories, if you're not familiar with them. Then um, we want to introduce North Star to you, um, our listeners. Some of you may be very familiar with North Star and planning and attending. Some of you um, may just want to learn more about North Star, and I'm honored to have these two good men on the podcast to explain North Star, its mission, its focus, the, the type of people, the groups that they're inviting to come to their conference. I've been to their conference several times. I felt a, a wonderful spirit there. Um, one of the greatest spiritual experiences I've had are in some of these breakout sessions as LGBTQ Latter-day Saints share their story. And um, I'm grateful for the work that they're doing. Um, if I do a good job, listeners, I will not talk very much and let these two good mm -hmm. men share. So let's start. Who wants to go first and introduce their story? Why don't you go, Ty? All right, I'll go first. <clears throat> so just I'll give you the, just the brief digest version. So uh, I grew up in Utah, attended BYU. Uh, I was not, I think I had some awareness, but was pretty in denial about sexuality until probably two years after my mission. And so I was at BYU, I was teaching at MTC, working in the temple, doing all the things that I thought I should be doing to overcome this spiritual problem. And uh, that was kind of the paradigm that I was operating in at the time, and that's how it was supposed to be. Uh, but things were, you know, feelings were getting stronger rather than weaker. And at that, so I had a, had a bit of an existential crisis at one point. Uh, it wasn't so much a faith crisis as it was an existential crisis. I just couldn't see where, I couldn't see my future, the future that I was planned for myself, all of a sudden became, um, couldn't see it. And that scared me. And so that was when I finally started to reach out to first a bishop. He recommended a counselor at BYU, saw the counselor for about two years, and then just slowly, <clears throat> excuse me, eventually started trying to reach out to other people. I had never met anybody else. Uh, I had never shared my story with anybody else. So um, short story long, <clears throat> that began a journey of just getting to know other people and trying to figure out what my future would look like. And my plan at the time was, you know, with a few sessions of therapy, I could kind of kick this and then get married to a woman and have kids like I'd always planned. And that wasn't happening. And so um, that was discouraging at one point. Um, questioned my place in the church uh, for about a year, explored dating men, had some very strong spiritual experiences at the end of that year that led me to recommit to the church, but I did not believe I would ever get married. So at that time, I really, my commitment was I'm doing this to kind of explore how do I live out a faith-filled life, not getting married and not having kids. <clears throat> I just couldn't see that at that time. So I, I that was my journey for about seven years. Somewhere in that point, um, had some, I mean, my undergrad was actually Chinese studies and business. And so I was going to work for the State Department. But as I moved to D.C., had some impressions that led me to move into therapy. So I went back to school in marriage and family therapy. Wow. Got my master's, got my doctorate. Tell our listeners what your doctorate's in. 
Uh, my doctorate is marriage and family therapy, and my dissertation was on um, the topic was on how how couples where one partner where couples where one partner experiences gender dysphoria or identifies as transgender who are Latter-day, Latter-day Saints, how they navigate that within their marriage and negotiate that within their marriage. That's so, great. What year was that? That I started my dissertation a year pre Caitlyn Jenner. Wow. So, and the world changed. This is, yeah, since then a lot's been done, but it's just interesting you took yeah. on that topic back then. Well, yeah. how did you tell them how you chose that topic? That was a spiritual process. Too. Yeah, no, I felt very prompted. So my original dissertation, that was my second start at dissertation. My original dissertation was to look at mindfulness-based interventions and couples therapy, right? And so and so mindfulness is kind of another love, but that's a whole other talk. So that's where I started. But I Ty's written a book about that too with some other people. Yeah. So I the power of stillness. Yeah. So I had an impression that I needed to to look at, you know, transgenderism, look at couples dynamics. But I'd already invested a year into this other, you know, um, dissertation topic. And so I I think I resisted that for about a year and then finally just started over. And so finally finished my dissertation and that, that overlapped with a lot of the ministry work that we were doing with North Star. And so it helped inform what we were trying to offer, you know, and what we're still kind of, I mean, this is still an evolving, you know, cause again, the conversation around transgenderism pre Caitlyn Jenner and post Caitlyn Jenner is pretty dramatic. The world has changed in dramatic ways since, since um, it was a really palpable shift in the culture that happened at that time. So that was my dissertation topic. Finished my doctorate. Um, I, at, at some point, just as I was starting my doctorate, I met my wife, uh, Danielle. And so that was about seven years after that kind of recommitment to the church. Everything felt right and felt good and beautiful. And it was very easy in a way that it had never been before. And so we now have five kids and we live in Spanish Fork, Utah. And and so five kids. We have five kids. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. We have a, a ten, they're all adorable. Uh-huh. A nine, an eight-year-old who just got baptized, a six, a four, and a two-year-old. So Tell our handful. listeners the books you've written. Uh so my, the first book that I ever wrote was actually not too long after I had recommitted to the church. I had written an essay about this journey of faith that I was on, kind of in recommitting and what that meant to me. And that got in the, into the hands of uh, somebody. Um, well, I'd actually shared it because part of my journey, part of my journey of healing was meeting uh, Fred and Marilyn Mattis. So their son had committed suicide in Los Altos, California during the night initiative in 2000. Um, th- it was very public. You know, it was a Newsweek cover story. I mean, it, it made a lot of national news. Elder Holland was there at the time, uh, very impacted by that. And so I wanted to meet them uh, because I, I knew that they had some interaction with general authorities. And at that time, there weren't the resources. The only resource I was aware of at the time was this uh, 1995 article that Elder Oaks had written. And I really, I loved Elder Holland and I wanted to get, you know, I thought the closest that I was going to get to Elder Holland was the Madison. So I tried, you know, I met them. They shared their story. They were very loving. And that's part of what was very healing for me because I was in a place where I still felt a lot of shame. Not very many people knew this about me. Um, and when I showed up at their house, uh, all they knew about me was my name. And they just said, come here, give us a hug. Right. I mean, it was just this very loving. And I, I just couldn't understand how people would do that to people like me. Like I knew what people felt about people like me. And so that was very healing. Like I, I could feel shame melting away. And so 
I shared that experience in this essay that I had written. I took it to them to have them read the essay. Um, this I was wanted, just for your English class. This for English class. Yeah. But we had it was a writing for publication class, so we had to submit it somewhere. So I thought I'll submit it to the Enzyme, right? But I wanted I didn't know what I was I didn't know where it would get published. But I I knew that I wanted to make sure I represented their story correctly, and so I I sent it took it to them had them read it. Went back the next day um, to get any feedback that they had, and they had their son-in-law there with them, who was a product director at Deseret Book. And they had already been approached by Sherry Dew to share their story. And they wanted the voice of an individual, and he liked what I said in the essay, asked if I wouldn't mind expanding that a little bit for a book. And that's that was the beginning of everything that's different. I mean, it was really a, uh, an inflection point in my life. I, that it changed was everything. very historic, Richard, because uh, Ty was the first person who experienced this, who put his real name on there. There had been other books by Latter-day Saints. They used pseudonyms. But they used pseudonyms or it was name withheld. And there, we probably don't need to go into it, but there was a whole process about whether he could or should use his name with Deseret Book. But again, Ty, you shared with me at the time how you really felt spiritually like you needed to do that. And that had its upside and downside. Yeah. But a lot of people, you know, could have said you were just some invention. You weren't a real person. Well, I only agreed to do it with the understanding that I would use a pseudonym. And then as I got closer and closer to publication, I had some very strong spiritual experiences that I needed to use my real name, which was terrifying. And Deseret Book had two meetings about that. Just Again, about this that is one 2002. Thing. So this is... 2003. Okay. 2003, 2004. Yeah. It came out in 2004. And they were discouraging me. Uh, not because of... I think, the, I think the thing was protective. Right. Yeah, they they were just wanting didn't to want to protect you. Yeah. But they said, whatever you choose, we'll go with. Um, and so we did that. And and that was uh, that changed my life in pretty, pretty remarkable ways. I would assume that helped melted away the shame. I love that term you used um, yeah. a few yeah. minutes ago. And I would assume that putting your name on there and being authentic and writing this book and really being groundbreaking book in so many levels, including using your name, personally helped you with just yeah. melting away the shame and for many others yeah. that you were brave enough to do this. Yeah. Several people contacted me afterwards saying that they were surprised they, they thought Ty Mansfield was a pseudonym because they assumed that whoever, that this person was a pseudonym, right? And then once I got to the end, I talked about why I chose to use my real name and that was when people knew that it was, that I that was my real name. So, and all those people <clears throat> that uh, reached out to you kind of formed the germ of North Star, Richard, because Ty started a, a listserv. Some of your listeners know it. It's like an email list. This is before Facebook and all that stuff. So a lot of those uh, people formed the germ of, of what eventually became North Star. Right. So from there, and part of what was really powerful to me was as I was trying to navigate this journey, and this is really what leads into North Star, uh, it in sort of at least kind of kind of seeded the idea. Because as I was looking for resources, I couldn't find anybody who wanted to navigate the, who seemed to be trying to navigate this within the church, or at least seemed to be doing it well, right? I mean, there was one support group that I attended, but everyone just really seemed they were struggling and they were conflicted. And everybody else was either, you know, I was at BYU at the time. So they were either kind of waiting to get out of BYU for so they could start, you know, dating. Or the they were sex. dating the same sex at BYU. You know, they were kind of on their way out. And they were either starting out now or they were waiting to, you know, leave before they, you know, once they graduated, they were going to be on their way out. 
So even though it was nice, there was some, there was a feeling of liberation and healing and in, in talking to other people who had that shared experience. Um, it still felt kind of lonely because I couldn't find anybody that really seemed to be committed and wanted to do this in the church <clears throat> and seemed healthy. And so, but then after the, after the book came out, so I was kind of doing, I felt like I was doing this on my own and, um, and trying to figure this out on my own. But after the book came out, all, all sorts of people were reaching out to me cool. who had already been there. And I thought, where were you? Like, when I, where were you when I needed you? Right. And so part of my thought then was that I wanted to have some kind of a book that was the cloud of witnesses and have a number of people share their stories. So that was the birth of Voices of Hope. Your second book. Mm-hmm. Back to so your question of what books he wrote. that term, cloud of witnesses. That's a, a beautiful term. Is there it's a scriptural back? Yeah. It's, it's Paul what, used that phrase. Paul used that phrase. So great, a cloud of witnesses. Yeah. yeah. I knew that was familiar. That's yeah. a beautiful. Yeah. Reference to Paul. Yeah. And that was my hope that we could have a cloud of witnesses. Like just find people at least to provide it as an option. Right. Cause I mean, I, you know, I get that this is a, this can be a really challenging, it's a really sensitive journey. You don't want to should people into a particular path. Right. But to at least know that certain pa- pathways are options. Or if they're a viable that, option. Yeah, yeah. That was my hope. And so started as I was meeting people and just, you know, finding people who are navigating this well or you know really had their heart into it and some of them identified as gay and some of them didn't and i had women and men and uh some spouses and so brought that together into voices of hope and then um and then that birthed so that's an anthology that was an an anthology anthology. i just wrote the introduction to that and then um then the voices of hope project was kind of a website video essay expansion uh, of the book. The greater cloud of witnesses. I like will. that, Jeff. Uh, and then uh, that was a, that effort as an independent thing kind of merged with North Star and then became an, an official North Star initiative. So that's one of the things Which we're still doing. Today. Yeah. Which lives on today. Which lives on today. Still releasing. Mm-hmm. And then your third book was The Power of Stillness, right? Yeah. So part of my journey was really uh, some insights from kind of intersected with Buddhist thought and mindfulness cool. initially through mental health and then uh I had a couple mentors who were Buddhist psychotherapists and got certified in mindfulness teaching. And, and so, uh, me and some colleagues and that intersects, but it's separate from this journey. It was a very important part of the personal journey, but I also don't always talk about this as part of that, but we wrote a book through Deseret book last year called the power of stillness, mindful living for Latter-day Saints. It's great. Can you talk yeah. about the book you're working on now? Yeah, probably not too much. I am working on a book with a colleague on the integration of spirituality and sexuality. That's great. For Latter-day Saints. But just generally, it's not SSA specific or sexuality, minority um, specific. Tell our listeners what you do professionally. So I'm a therapist. I have a full-time private practice in Provo. And then I also teach part-time in religious education and the School of Family Life at BYU. That's great. Yeah. And listeners, I you know, as I look back to my journey, this book in particular, In Quiet Desperation, what year was that published? 2004. I read that book. I have thought about that book many times since I read it and Stuart Mathis and that story. And it was probably, mm-hmm. I, I think those kind of things really helped me um, when I was had priesthood responsibility for a couple of gay men that I had had that sort of locked in the back of my brain and the nuance and, the, and what you taught in that story. And I just felt for this young man mm-hmm. and the difficult situation he was in that he had no control to sort of I mean, it was outside of his control to sort of solve his sexuality and 
and mm-hmm. fully participate. I mean, you know this. Right. There yeah. was, it was sort it was of just this, a yeah. very difficult situation. It sounds like he had wonderful parents that were very aware of how, how about his difficult situation did everything they could as parents. And as a young parent, I was, it, it, it was very thoughtful and very helpful book. So I'm glad that you wrote that. And I brings honor to the Mathis family. Yeah. Um, and I've listeners, as I told Ty before we went live, I meet with, you know, people uh, sort of, I'm not a therapist, but people sometimes come and just tell me their story. And um, Ty is helping a lot of people in his practice. And there's a lot of other um, therapists out there that are safe places for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And so I'm grateful for the work that Ty and Jeff are doing at North Star, as well as the work that Ty is doing professionally. And just the trailblazer he is within our church on this subject and his and his, and he's in the middle of this intersection. So he's, you know, sort of a lightning rod probably at times for many, most of the time. Um, <laughs> and as an ally, I can sort of step in and out of the space if I want to, but you know, that's not possible for you. And um, so I hope you feel, you know, just the love and support of people like me and, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of others that you're probably not aware of that you've helped. Thank you. And on behalf of all of us, we're grateful for you. Yeah. And the work you're doing at North Star. So, Jeff, and I, I don't know if you want to say any more about yourself, Ty. No, we'll say more as we get into okay. introduction of North Star. Jeff Benyon. Yeah. Co-founder uh, of North Star. Right. Uh, well, I uh, had in many ways a similar experience to Ty where uh, I didn't see anyone uh, within the church really with this example. And my mission was a uh, time when I really felt spiritually, before then I was in denial, I would say. Well, whatever these feelings are, whatever they are, it can't be that, I can't be gay, it's not that. But on my mission, I was really spiritually led to own up to this as a thing. So I uh, came home from my mission and- Where did you serve, Jeff? Uh, Belgium, Brussels, French speaking. Cool. Uh, and um, I think you'll find a common thread, Richard, uh, at least among the young men you talk to, that that's a pretty precarious time for a lot of us coming home from our missions. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons why I have theories, but we don't need to go into that. Uh, but um, so I started learning and reading, and uh, this was in the early to mid-90s. So about 10 years before Thai, and I found some online resources, which I I was a computer nerd, which kind of helped and hurt in some ways. But this was in the Internet days, like before the World Wide Web, even. So there were email lists and there were email addresses. But I had to go up to the University of Utah campus to like read these emails. You know, this dial up CompuServe and AOL were just kind of. Starting, yeah, remember those? Oh gosh, yeah, I thought of that word for a decade. Yeah, as a, I feel old, Richard. You're helping. I'm older than all of you. <laughs> anyway, so I I found some online support, and uh, but still I was very secretive. I'd find books at the University of Utah Library, and I'd read them behind another book in case somebody. I'd find the darkest secret corner in the library, and then put another book around it in case somebody walked by. I didn't dare check them out. There's no way I was going to check those out. Anyway, through a gradual process, I, I got to know some more people, found some wonderful mentors, wonderful examples to me uh, through that reaching out, through taking those risks of 
vulnerability and, and self-disclosure. Uh, but meanwhile, personally, uh, I was, uh, you know, I find that when I got home from my mission, marriage seemed like a possibility to me. And the longer I was home, the further away that seemed possible. I'd had a slight attraction to women, but nine out of 10 times, it's it would be men I'd notice, you know, and be attracted to. So by far the dominant uh, experience for me was that, that uh, attraction to the same sex. So, uh, but I had a few, I date a few, I date a little bit women and uh, just for various reasons didn't ever work out. And so by the time I got to my late twenties, uh, I'd kind of given up on marriage. And yet uh, I'd also had some really sacred spiritual experiences that I knew that was something the Lord wanted for me. And I don't know if this makes sense to you or your listeners, but I knew it was true, but I didn't always believe it, if that makes sense. Sometimes it seemed like God was playing this cruel joke, this cruel trick that he'd set me up to fail. And he was just, just out of, I don't know what, like some rat in some laboratory experiment. And so uh, I, w- I got pretty estranged and, and angry, but I tried to maintain my relationship, maintain my scripture study, maintain my activity. But I was also uh, dating men a little bit too. Uh, more probably out of default because it just wasn't working with the women. And meanwhile, there were a lot of really wonderful men that I met. Uh, I don't have anything bad to say about them. Uh, I have to say one thing, though. Yeah. Jeff told me early on that at one point he was so angry that the only book, the only scripture he could read without wanting to hurl it across the room was the Book of Lamentations. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In his angry face. Uh-huh. This yeah. is true. But I found some scriptures I, I could found. relate to. Because, <laughs> yeah, you'd read all this stuff and I'm like, this is just... Uh, and a sense or a word there that you can imagine, fill in the blank there. I would want to throw it across the room, but I could relate to stuff in Lamentations. <laughs> These are the people that felt abandoned by God, you know. Uh, but I think that helped me too, to stay connected somehow to God and the scriptures. Uh, so uh, anyway, you can read the book or watch the show. Uh, I, I ended up meeting my wife-to-be, and that was a two-and-a-half-year process. Uh, definitely gradual. It wasn't anything I jumped into. It wasn't anything I tell anybody to jump into. As President Hinckley said, you know, this isn't a therapeutic way to cure me, right? In fact, I was worried my wife thought that, my wife-to-be thought that. So I dragged her to my therapist at the time and said, can you help me make sure that she gets this? Cool. <laughs> so uh, my wife teases me about that still, but... Uh, it was, I wanted to make sure that she understood this wasn't just a theoretical thing and it wasn't just going away magically because we were getting married. So, uh, and obviously there was some trepidation there, but but we also had enough experiences over two and a half years to know that, that we had a lot under, a lot of water under that bridge. And so I felt confident that whatever uh, came our way, we'd deal with it because we had already dealt with a lot. So uh, that that's kind of how we decided to get married. And that was in, we got married in 2004, uh, 
the day after July 4th. So my single friends tease me that July 4th, 2004 was my last day of independence. But uh, my wife thinks that's not so do funny. You have kids? <laughs> we do. We have one child. And, and that's the interesting and somewhat surprising thing, Richard, is certainly the issues of my sexuality have come up in our marriage, but they have by far not been the dominant thing. There's other things like our infertility issues have actually mm. been more painful and more difficult that's for us honest. to navigate. And, uh, you know, a lot of other things, but that's been in the mix. But if, if there's any big surprise, that's probably the one was how, and I don't say it's not an issue, I'm not trying to be Pollyanna, but how other issues that was the one that was concerning and that we talked about and we tried to plan for and continue, you know, around. But there's actually been these other unexpected things, you know, big deal. the words of the philosopher uh, John Lennon, uh, life is what happens when you're making other plans. So that happened to us. So I was living in D.C. when That's I met my good, wife. Pretty good statement. Yeah, <laughs> I was living in D.C. when I met my wife and I found Ty on one of these listservs. And I emailed them and said, hey, uh, you and I really think a lot of like about these things. We should talk or maybe get together. But I'm here in D.C. and you're probably in Utah. I think you are. And so but maybe when I'm back there, we could get together or something and talk. Well, he emails me back and says, actually, I'm moving out to D.C. in like three weeks or so. It was, uh -huh. I was just so, back yeah, China. something like that. So. Uh, I, uh, I was one of the first people to meet Ty when he moved to DC, which was really fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, so that's how we got to know each other. And I was just recently married. Uh, and so that, and that was probably four months before the book came out. At least it was in Galley. Yeah. I think you no, told we, me. I moved like, there in August and it came out in October. Yeah. So it was, it was not quite out when I got to know Ty. What so. do you do professionally, Jeff? So I, uh, I work in real estate and property management, but in 2015, I went back and got a master's degree wow. in marriage and family therapy. Wow. So it's Dr. Ty Mansfield. He's got his PhD. I just have my master's degree. And hey, that's I, a big deal. Yeah. And to go back to school, <laughs> uh, what I sense would be a successful career and go do that yeah. is a big deal. Mm -hmm. so that's and I cool. still full time in real estate and property management, but I have a small uh, marriage and family therapy practice. That's too. really cool. Yeah. And tell us approximately your age, just so our listeners get a feel for how old you are. I'm 42. And I'm uh, 51. I've okay. been married for, well, since 2004. Your listeners can do the math. I've been married long enough, I can't remember. 16, 17 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So listeners, um, just this gives you a little bit of feel for Ty and Jeff. And what we mm -hmm. want to do now, they they eventually, I think, are going to lead to the story where they co-founded <clears throat> Northstar. And so we're going to lead into this segment, helping people understand um, North Star's upcoming conference, who uh, they're inviting to attend, its purpose. Um, we also want to dispel myths. When I stepped in the space, I had picked up things about North Star that now I realize were not accurate. And I'm a brand management guy, so I'm always interested in how to create correct communication pans for brands. Mm -hmm. And you've mm -hmm. got a brand there that has, you know, just misinformation about it mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. out there. So part of this podcast is just to clarify from the co-founders and people that are always felt that it's best to go to the source if you want to understand a brand, to go to the people responsible for it in this case. 
it's like Michael Wilcox used to teach me as an, as an institute student, if you want to know the best about Judaism, go talk to a Jew. Go talk to <laughs> someone who um, is the very best Jew you can find and then learn about Judaism through that person. It's sort of this principle. Let's learn about North Star from the co-founders of North Star versus other voices talking about North Star. Um, just a personal <clears throat> comment um, about mixed orientation marriages. Um, I wrote this in the book that... Um, the biggest spiritual rebuke I've gotten from this space is my feeling about mixed orientation marriages. When I started doing a couple podcasts, maybe it was Richard Rojas and his wonderful wife. Mm. And, yeah, he's a good um, friend. All I knew was just these marriages that kind of blew up and were very public. And I just mm -hmm. thought, well, these all blow up. And um, I just, I, I just learned by meeting with people in mixed orientation marriage. It's the same principle I just shared about meeting with the best Jew you can find <laughs> is I realized that these are authentic, wonderful, healthy, thriving marriages. Mm. And we shouldn't sit on the sideline and hope that a mixed orientation marriage fails or believe it will fail. Um, we would want every marriage to succeed. And the other thought I have is that sometimes there's this phrase out in society that says, live your truth. Mm -hmm. And to me, that sort of implies sometimes that if you're gay, you, you should marry a man, and that's living your truth. But I think living your truth is receiving personal revelation for what's right for you in your life. And all of us supporting everybody is they receive their own personal revelation for what's best for them, and not sort of um, legislating that for other people. Are you okay with what I said? Yeah, no, I yeah. think that's really fair. And I appreciate you saying that, right? Because I think... Well, you mentioned lightning rod, right? Because I think one of the things, this space is really fraught because you have sort of a lot of competing ideas, right? And at some point you stop being a person and start being an idea or you represent something that people hate or something like that, right? And so people don't really speak to you. They speak to what they think you are because, you know. And, and it's, it's tricky both <clears throat> sides. Uh, and you we've know, done this, yeah. and a lot of people do the same thing with the gay community, right? Or the LGBTQ community. So there's a lot of, projection of just we don't really see people which is one of the things i love about what you're doing you just listen to stories and you honor people where they are in the space that they are and that's what we need to do more of right um you know you've drawn a lot on uh president uh, ballard's yeah. statement right exactly which i think is very powerful and and it creates a lot of fosters a lot of empathy and compassion and so i think Anyway, I just appreciate you bringing yeah. attention to that. There's a lot more we could say about that. but And so, yeah. Yeah, and it is tough to navigate because we can turn into these punching bags and these poster children uh, for either side, right? Yeah, oh, this exactly. is, they're not living their authentic life. It's doomed to fail. You, know, you imagine, uh, if you've talked to Richard, you know, uh, Ricardo, uh, you know uh, how, how he resents that and, and we do too. But at the same time, we can also be used, well, Ty did it and Jeff did it. Why can't you do it, right? So it can be used the other side too. Uh, and, and so we just have to be, I say, uh, you know, we have to be open to that being uh, a possibility, but it, it, for some of us, and, uh, but, but, it's, but it's not necessarily uh, the one that everybody's going to do. Some people aren't going to get married. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't want to pressure it. Yeah. So we could talk about that for a while. Yeah, we could. That's a whole other podcast um, probably. One of the most mm -hmm. touching podcasts we did was Anne and David Ricky, if I remember David's name. And they're in their mm -hmm. 60s and mm -hmm. David's gay and is married to Anne. And, um, that I was recent, he, right? It just, was recent. Yeah. I think he did a Voices of Hope a long time ago mm -hmm. or a while mm -hmm. ago. But I asked Anne in a, 
I said, would you want Dave to be straight? Um, are you glad he's gay? And she just said, I'm glad he's gay. I wouldn't change a thing about him. And then she went on to say why. And it was just a deeply spiritual mm -hmm. moment. And the shame melting away. If he had any more shame that needed to be melting away to hear his wife talk about him that way, mm -hmm. it was just a real sacred moment for me and perhaps for other listeners. And it's a beautiful marriage. And I try to say one I don't try to look at the straight spouse or the gay spouse and say, who's more of a hero for making it work? I don't have the right to look at any marriage and decide who's more of a hero. That's just, my job is not to go to that space, listeners. My job is just to support all marriages and hope that they succeed. Yeah. But talk about just the idea of starting North Star. Mm -hmm. So one of the things... <clears throat> One of the things I've told a number of people is that I've had to become a skilled deconstructionist for the sake of <laughs> spiritual and emotional survival. And when I, so when I entered this space, the, there was kind of the two dominant ministries were Evergreen and Affirmation. Affirmation. And Affirmation has gone through periods of being yeah. more faith friendly and then more faith critical. Yeah. Like, and so, and that's kind of waxed and waned, it seemed at different points of history. Evergreen was the one that was, um, you know, explicitly supportive of the church. And, and I, I, I'm just going to say this is a lot of my perceptions that may not always accurate or uh, reflect Evergreen correctly, fully, but there was a feeling of, like, to me, it was very, there was, it was very kind of therapeutic uh, in its orientation. Uh, most of the presenters were therapists. Um, and it was more of the experts, air quotes, speaking to us as people having this experience rather than sharing of the experience like we've just been talking about here. Right. So the th it, and here's so, what you should do. Here's how you can do. Yeah. There were a couple things that really like that. I mean, they were, they weren't, they were organizations with very different organizing principles. So affirmation was very community oriented. It was like by the people for the people, right? They were, you know, you had leaders who, um, were gay or lesbian, and then you had, you know, and, and then in Evergreen, you had primarily therapists, right? And so, um, but then, you know, over here, there was something that seemed very powerful about kind of owning your story and speaking up and, you know, um, uh, kind of, again, just kind of owning your story to, you know, to kind of, I mean, it's kind of cliche right now, Brene Brown now, but like that, own your story. And then um, over here, I wanted the faith aspect, but there was this kind of a, a shame culture, like the classes were kind of labeled female struggler, male struggler, people would use pseudonyms. And I remember one of the most powerful moments was actually a friend of ours. They'd asked him and his wife to share their story and they introduced him with a pseudonym and he got up to the pulpit and he said, that's actually not my name. <laughs> he said, my name is, and he is his real name. And it was just, I thought, thank you. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you for just standing up and like, sharing who you are. And so, but I, so there were pieces in both, you know, I wanted that sense of authenticity and um, just showing up and being who you are that I saw in affirmation. It was something that was very attractive about that. But at the time that I was kind of coming to things, they were in a very church critical phase. Um, and it just seemed very kind of political and very antagonistic. And so there were pieces that I was really drawn to and then pieces that I weren't. And then there were pieces over here that I was really drawn to and pieces that I weren't. And so I had to, so for me, it was kind of like, how, what are these pieces that I'm drawn to? Can I kind of, you know, extract those and create something um, for, at least for me. And so it was, it was this piece that I was trying to live for me 
And so at some point, as I was meeting other people after the book came out, <clears throat> the idea was seeded of having a more of a, what I thought would have been more of a, an equivalent to affirmation that was more community oriented than therapeutic oriented. And it was more of a by the people for the people. And so- Even though you're a therapist now. Well, even though I'm <laughs> yeah. a therapist now. He wasn't at the time. Yeah, None I wasn't at the time. You know, that was still when I was going to work for the State Department. So <laughs> I, um, but I, but that, so so when we started, I mean, we, you know, we started in the garage, so to speak, just yeah. with a listserv and a website and, but just the the idea, again, being very community oriented. <clears throat> we didn't have a conference back then. We didn't set ourselves up to be antagonistic or competing with Evergreen. Or we just wanted a space or yeah. affirmation, but just a space where people to kind of fostered a, a sense of like living more honestly, kind of showing up, being you, but also like all of you. And for people who whose faith is just as important a part of their sense of self and identity as their sexuality might be. And so that was the space. And then, uh, and so we kind of existed alongside Evergreen for about six years. <clears throat> so people, you know, there's sort of, his, historically, a lot of people think that, you know, and sometimes we get this, um, mm -hmm. people will say this to us, that like this is Evergreen rebranded. But we were entirely two separate organizations for for six years. Listeners, that's something I didn't realize till right now. By the way, I've I've always picked somewhere up that Evergreen sort of ended, and the remnants of Evergreen became North Star, and it was just Evergreen rebranded. So I hope everybody realized what Ty and Jeff just taught here, um, and who be, and so that's a big difference from what I had heard. Yeah. Yeah. So the focus was, so from the beginning of North Star, we've never taken a stance on therapy. So our kind of stance was like, share your story. Yeah. Like we don't promote therapy. We don't criticize therapy. Like we never came out for reparative therapy. We never came out against it. We just were, this is about living the gospel. And you share your experience. If you tell was, us what, if you found something helpful, whatever sure. that was, share it. But but not mm -hmm. in a should way. This is what you all have to do. I'm the expert. I'm going to tell you the XYZ program to get cured, air quotes again. But here's here's what worked for me. Here's what helped me. And yeah. I call it the smorgasbord. You know, some people are allergic. You know, they can't do the gluten. And some people are the vegans. And some people are the paleos. And whatever works, you tell us what that is. And then you can pick what you think is authentic and work for you as you're navigating your faith journey. But that first person narrative became, was the focus of, mm -hmm. of, of North Star. And so, and then there were people that would kind of, you know, dip into both and they'd go to the Evergreen Conference and then they'd participate in North Star. And so, again, they weren't designed to be um, competing, but as, as North Star grew and as Evergreen kind of slowly waned, at one point... Uh, I don't even know how all the conversations happened, but there was a decision that Evergreen was going to, they just, I mean, they had just decided that they were going to, like we had kind of taken enough, we had kind of created enough space that there wasn't as much, there wasn't a need for two organizations. And so they, at one point, I don't know whether David approached us or yeah. we had approached David Pruden, who was the executive director at the time. They had, they had some emails and contact lists that we didn't want to just drop. You know, there were people that were helped by that organization were. And so we did want to have some kind of transition where we could take over, you know, some of those listservs and some of those groups and, and areas to make sure they continue to get support, fellowship and support. So um, basically, we, the, I mean, the, we were trying to figure out what this would even mean, because either they were just going to fade into nothing or, and this was about the time that Exodus, which was kind of an evangelical uh, ex-gay ministry, they had you know, kind of closed their doors and it became a big national thing. 
And so um, rather than having them just close their doors and kind of contribute to this kind of larger narrative of just, you know, everything's going down, we just basically absorbed them. And but at that time, because we absorbed them and we put out a statement just saying what the, you know, kind of explaining all this, I think this is where a lot of the perception comes is that we had kind of absorbed that history as well even though that wasn't our history. And really functionally, nothing changed. We just continued to be us and continued to do everything we were doing, but with a few more listservs and like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. So there wasn't, uh, again, functionally, nothing changed for North Star. And our mission has, has you know, continued along the same trajectory that we began with. Except we hope it, uh, it's broadened as, uh... You know, Ty and I, and there were a few other people at the beginning there. Almost, mostly men. But we were right. all men, but a couple spouses, I think. Like my wife was involved and, and a couple other spouses. But uh, there were a lot of single men too. But we really were pretty short on the women's experience, which is important and has some similarities and some differences. And parents, uh, experience. parents family, uh, church leaders, uh and, and then uh, uh, later on, the, the transgender and gender dysphoria areas came in. Introduce your too. mission state. That's very helpful to have that history. If I'm, mm-hmm. this is me back to being a brand man, brand guy. <laughs> you know, if you're introducing Oreo cookies to me, this is not fair to compare <laughs> North Star and Torah. So I probably should strike that. But just, you know, introduce <laughs> your mission statement. I, I don't have a memorized offhand. Jerry, you looking at it? Yeah, up? I'm looking it up for us. <clears throat> But the idea from the very beginning was that it was explicitly faith-based. The focus was going to be people who wanted to live the gospel of Jesus Christ, or at least we're kind of exploring that. Because as people come in, I mean, it's a ministry that tends to draw people who are in that space of intersection, like mm-hmm. they're kind of at the crossroads. So people, you know, people kind of come in for a time and either they figure out that's what they want to do and they kind of move in and they do well and then they move, then they kind of move on. Right. Or they decide they want to leave the church and they might kind of, you know, move forward as affirmation, which I think tends to be probably a better ministry for people who aren't trying to navigate this within the church. So <clears throat> and, and our goal hasn't been to compete with affirmation either. Right. It's just here is a space for people who want to navigate this within the church or want to try to at least keep that as an option. Come. And so we have a range of people who are kind of half in, half out to people who are very solid, very committed, very healthy. But they all have that common, I, they, they understand where we are, which here's our mission. We, North Star is a faith-affirming resource for Latter-day Saints addressing sexual orientation and gender identity and who desire to live in harmony with the teachings of Jesus Christ and the doctrines and values of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, so... You know, there's a lot of people on different stages of that. So we talk about this a lot as a leadership team. If we can just help people make whatever that next step is closer to the Savior, uh, that's the one that helps. You, you know, it's the model I think we all have experienced. And, and as Latter-day Saints, we all believe in, which is we feel some spiritual prompting to do something. And then if we act in accordance with that prompting, we will get closer to God and Christ and then we will get more promptings. And if we keep doing that, we will be led on the path God wants us to. And it takes faith to take those steps. But wherever we are on that path, or whatever we think we know or believe or don't know, it's what's important is that next step. What is that step you can take? Wherever you are, what is that step you can take towards Christ? One of the greatest compliments I think that we've ever received was um, uh, Virginia Pierce. Uh, was a keynote. Gordon B. Hinckley's daughter. Yeah, at one of the conferences. 
And afterwards she emailed me and she's like, that was such a remarkable experience. She said, you could feel people reaching for the savior. Yeah. Like, and that was the thing that was most touching to her. And that's, and it feels Zion. I mean, this idea of just come and feel loved and let's create community in this direction of, you know, of coming to Christ, right? That's really, that's the heart of who we are. And if people find therapy helpful, Awesome. Tell us what was helpful. If people don't find therapy helpful or don't want to go to therapy or felt like therapy was harmful. Tell right? us about that. Tell us about that. Right. And so the therapeutic aspect is secondary or tertiary. Right. I mean, it's just it's 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 there as part of people's stories to the degree that it's there as part of people's stories, but it's not a focus of the organization. So when people, Jeff and I were talking about this, this idea of conversion therapy, like the only conversion that we're interested in is Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. right? And we're not a therapeutic organization. And we're certainly not of, of any sort, right? And what we've done actually is when, when people ask that question about convert, like, you know, we have in our kind of our, our Q&A or frequently asked questions, you know, do you, like, what is your position on conversion therapy? We've explicitly referenced uh, the Reconciliation reconciliation and Growth Project mm-hmm. statement. We're both a part of that group. That's a I kind of a liberal, conservative, that. affirmative, conservative dialogue group um, that we've been a part of for a number of years. and. Um, but it's basically the idea is, you know, you have a lot of LGBT affirmative therapists and kind of religious conservative therapists saying, you know, let's get rid of this idea of affirmative therapy or conversion therapy and let's just talk about good therapy. Mm-hmm. So for people who are are at this intersection of navigating faith and sexual identity conflicts, what does good therapy look like that honors client self-determination and does no harm? So our statement is just a reference to the principles mm-hmm. of good therapeutic practice uh, that the, that was put out by the Reconciliation yeah. Growth Project. And it project. may surprise <clears throat> you that a bunch of LGBTQ affirmative therapists and very conservative religious therapists could come together and build that consensus around what is good therapy for this population. And but we did. we did it. We found remarkable. like Remarkable agreement. Yeah. yeah. So that's a great segment. Um, talk about those two words you just said for listeners that um, self-determination mm-hmm. and no harm. Just mm-hmm. talk about that. because, And if you feel that applies as parents are trying to help their LGBTQ kids and priests mm-hmm. and leaders and other people that are not in a therapy role, but in an influencer role, whatever the right word is with LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Yeah. And maybe on this, we may even want to provide a link to that because we have a summary, like Good. a one-page summary statement yeah, of what, listeners. What, All the, uh, what constitutes harm. We'll put a link in. Because yeah. it goes both ways, right? And, and yeah, I think this is important. This is where a lot of, I think, well-intended allies actually can do harm. Good. Right? When we pressure people. Um, you know, this kind of waiting for people to, you know, you know, this like, you, you know, don't pursue a same-sex relationship. You're never going to be happy. You know, we're waiting for you and your mixed orientation relationship to fail. Like there's a, there's a lot of pressure and projection and narrative that we, you know, that we put on people. And so what we, the idea of harm is that, um, well, at least in a therapeutic context. So in most of the mental health professions, there's a little bit of variation, but most of the mental health professions, the two great ethics, the two kind of mother ethics are client self-determination Clients get to determine how they want to live their they life. They determine their goals. And how do you help them do that without harming them? Right. And that's it. Like, I mean, there's other ethics too, but th- that, but everything kind that's of really seems to be connected to those two things. And so that was the guiding, those were the guiding principles of the Reconciliation and Growth Project, right? How do you help people at this intersection um, explore this, 
you know, seek a, you know, a greater level of self-understanding, self-awareness. There are going to be clients who privilege faith identity over sexual identity. And there are going to be people who privilege sexual identity over faith identity. But that's a very uh, personal journey and how people make meaning and give weight to and that sort of thing. It's not about this sort of... um, simplistic construct of gay to straight right right? or or the other way there's one way to be true to yourself and that is Mm -hmm. if you're gay you need to be in gay relationships yeah maybe but maybe not and and so there's there's other things in the mix that that's where ty says you know where he says the harm can go both ways right a therapist could say like you could imagine a very conservative religious therapist saying no you'll never be happy in a gay relationship you need to you need to stay in the church well, I have a testimony for myself that that's true, but I can't make somebody else do that, right? That's their, yeah. that's the whole point of uh, this existence, right? Is to figure that out for ourselves. We shall find out for ourselves, you know? But at the same time, we also, both Ty and I run across every day, and of course this is our space. I'm not saying this is more or less dominant, but this is my world and Ty's, I think to a large degree, is we also see harm being done by clinicians who say affirmative therapists affirmative therapists who say oh you're in a mixed orientation marriage that's not going to work you're only going to be happy clearly all your problems in mental health are because of that you need to have gay relationships or leave your marriage or if you're celibate and single in the church well you're not going to be happy that way so you just need to uh, seek gay relationships and so maybe this is a good time to talk about your four options survey research too. But I don't know if we want to go there. Okay, you can but, tell us if we want to go there. But but, but I think the key is, is that, you know, I've, I've worked with a number of people who have gone to therapists who wanted to navigate this within the church, who had therapists who tried to guide them into same-sex relationships. And that caused distress and suicidality, right? We don't hear those stories as much. They tend to, to stay pretty silent. So, and I've, I've worked with a woman once who avoided therapy for 10 years because she didn't want a therapist telling her how she should, how she should live her life and what authenticity looked like for her. So I think parents need to be careful about this. I think, um, you know, ministries, we try to be very careful that this is an option if people want it. We're not telling people that this is the, this is where they should be. Or have to do. Yeah. yeah. So that's, this, that's really where it gets. This concept of self-determination was really helpful for me when I be stepped in the space and, mm-hmm. It's a, it resonated with the doctrine of our church of, of agency yeah. and the whole plan of salvation. And even though I invite everybody to follow the teachings of the church, I did that as a bishop, I do that now. At the end of the day, I, I, I do let people self-determine what they feel is their best path mm-hmm. as an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint and, and sort of um, support them to sort of walk alongside them as the vocabulary. I'll walk with you as you self-determine the best path forward for you. And I'll just leave any judging to our heavenly parents and our savior, I guess our savior is ultimately our judge. Um, are you okay with that? Is that um, a good framework or is, yeah, um, I think because I assume you have a lot of <clears throat> gay men that you've known over the years, <laughs> hundreds, I would guess that are yeah, now yeah. Thousands, yeah. thousands that are now in same sex relationships. So you know, oh. help us understand how we should treat those people and how, you know, and how you treat those people. You probably have lots of friends that are now in same-sex marriages and they aren't aligned with North Star's goals or they aren't aligned with the church's goals, but they're still part of the human family. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, well, there's a couple different angles on that. Okay. I think one is... Um, and this is the same for women and same-sex. I don't want yeah. to make this too yeah. male-focused. Well, there's sort of... 
because there's a couple pieces here, and this is where I feel like at a church, at least in the community, we don't see this in the leadership, but we see it in, in the LDS community, where there's a growing polarization around this issue. You have sort of a liberal progressive contingent that thinks the church is wrong. This is like blacks in the priesthood. It's eventually going to change. Um, and then you have, you know, a more kind of orthodox kind of a contingent. And, and that polarization, I think, is getting stronger. Yeah. And we and the, I think those that are that believe the church is going to change are getting uh, louder, more pronounced, louder. I, that's not the right word, but mm. but there, but there, it's definitely more present, right? And and you see that kind of tension more. And one thing to just as North Star, as an organization, we begin with the framework that we sustain church leaders without sure. reservation, right? We sustain the doctrines as they are. We sustain the proclamation of the family. We just want to help people navigate this within the church in the in the way that is going to be best for them, right? And they make that choice, but we want to support them in that choice. But I think as a um, this frame that you're talking about, like as as allies, as supports, as a community, how do we approach this? And because I've heard a number of people <clears throat> that believe the church is going to change, make really strong statements, like there is no place in the church for LGBT Latter Day Saints, right? And that the, the doctrine is inherently harmful, and these kinds of things. I mean, they're pretty strong statements. And I don't, I don't believe that that's true for a second. I do know that people have felt hurt, yes. right? I mean, that certainly exists, and we want to honor that, that those stories and hear that pain. But what you're saying, it's like everybody's on a journey. And I think there are a number of reasons that we might experience this for some divine, that there's purpose in design in all of the experiences that we have. Everything's going to get worked out in the end. And I and that doesn't mean that the doctrine has to change either, right? I fully believe that um, that everything's going to work out and that there is... So I'm going to use an example, and I think he would be okay with me saying this. <clears throat> um, ben Borden, who's a former president of, of North Star, mm -hmm. you know, he left the church, so he was uh, what a good guy. He's yeah. he's great. He and Becky are, are a lot of fun too. A lot of fun. I mean, they were both in same-sex relationships for a period of time. Um, he had, I think, been inactive for a while. Came back, went on a mission, married a woman, got divorced, was out of the church with a man later, his husband for 20 years, and and as he looks back, he's like. I experienced a lot of healing in that relationship. And this is a person who believes in the doctrine of the church, who believes in marriage between a man and a woman, who doesn't, who looks back on that part of his life as one of great growth. And doesn't want it just erased. <laughs> it wasn't the great mistake. It was part of his experience, his learning, his growth, right? And, and he talks about his husband, who, um, uh, where he experienced a lot of healing. And his husband later ended up, after they got divorced, his husband joined the church too, which is an interesting part of the story. Yeah. But, and, you know, but I think for a lot of people, I mean, we're here to learn by experience, right? And to develop and to grow and to mature uh, into godliness. And we can, all of the things that we experience here in this life are going to help us in some way, learn how to love God better and learn how to love each other better. And that's why we're here. And so I think as far as people's journeys taking, you know, different paths or scenic routes or whatever that looks like, we just honor people's paths. I think this is everybody. I just, I begin with the frame that everybody's doing the best they can. It's all going to work out in the end. A lot end. of grace in And that the doctrine time. is true, right? I mean, it, the, the church is true. That's kind of my, my frame and I love people wherever they are. And so I think that, that where you're coming from, this sort of honoring and listening and hearing whatever their journey is. And just leaving it at that, right? Your your frame of listen, learn, and love, I think, is and is if, really a perfect frame. For if that. I can plagiarize something else, 
Becky and Bennett say. Uh, I think this was Becky, uh, his wife now, uh, but it might've been, yeah, it was Becky who said this. Uh, she said, she'll often have parents. So back to your question, how do we support? She said, she'll have parents come and say, well, how should I pray for my child who's experiencing this and trying to figure this out, you know, and especially if they're out of the church, should I pray for them to be miserable? So they have a prodigal son experience and want to come back. Should I pray for them to be happy, even though it doesn't align with how I believe things are, you know, doctrinally, what should I pray for? You know, that's a really poignant question. And Becky said, what you should pray for is to, for your child or friend or whatever, family member, whoever this is, to have the experiences they need to return to their Heavenly Father. That's a great answer. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. For, talk about, um, <laughs> I just want to keep this podcast going for a couple <laughs> hours. <laughs> um, this is really tender ground. And to have you two in my home um, and your long view of this issue and your personal journeys being um, in this space is very, very helpful for our listeners. Talk about who should come to North Star. Um, the different groups that are invited. <clears throat> Give us an overview of who who's invited. I think one of the before theme, you do that, just oh, let our yeah. listeners know the dates. I don't think we've ever told you the dates, listeners. We just oh, said it's June. Yes, it is in June. <clears throat> uh, it's we have. First of all, can I say we have? There's, we want you to register for the conference, but that costs some money. We have a Thursday night social. You have to stay tuned. I, I it's embarrassing that I don't know the location of that, but. Uh, we have a Thursday night social that anybody's welcome to. You don't have to register. Uh, and if you're nervous or a first-time attendee, it's a great uh, way to just kind of get to know us without – you can bring a friend or you can bring somebody else along if you're and nervous. And it's on June 10th. Look, I've actually yes. printed this oh, out. Yep, first-time right. session is the Murray yep. City Park Pavilion. Oh, you, there you go. At yep. 5.30 on June 10th. The whole conference is June 10th through June right. 13th, 2021. So it starts the evening of the 10th, Thursday, at Murray Park. And then uh, all day Friday, well, till uh, like about 5.30, and then Saturday morning again. And so who comes? We have different track. We have, of course, things of general interest. And one thing we always tell people, if you look, and I see you've printed out our tentative program too, but, um, you know, if you see a session that interests you, unless it says closed session, you can come. You know, if there's a session in the transgender track that interests you, even though that may not be your interest or issue, go to it. But but we do try to have, uh, so we have two keynotes a day on Friday and Saturday each. And then, and those, we try to have more general and broad interest. These are our crowd pleasers and things that might interest people. So we've got some fun keynotes, but then in our breakout sessions, we have breakout sessions throughout the day, both those days. And we have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six different breakout sessions. And I always tell our conference planners, uh, my big complaint is there's too many interesting sessions every hour and they need to make fewer interests. So I'm not so torn about where to go. That's another fun thing, by the way, Richard, about being a co-founder of North Star is seeing how this isn't our organization anymore. There's right. so many people that have come into That's this. That's a credit to both of yes, you. Yes, but it's put, there's so many people, Richard, have put their heart and soul into this. In many ways, I'm humble. I think there's people who put more than I have into this. Uh, and so it's wonderful what people have made this. But so we have sessions on for spouses who might be married to someone who who's navigating this issue around sexuality and gender. We have issue we have sessions for church leaders. In fact, Saturday morning, if there's any church leaders listening, our Saturday morning sessions are free. 
Uh, oh, and I should also mention, uh, we're doing a hybrid this year in person and virtual. So you can register for the conference and at least most of our sessions are gonna be live streamed. We've always had it available for download after the audio, but this year we're experimenting and we're taking a big risk because it's a huge expense. So anybody wants to donate to us, I'll put a plug in there too. It's a huge expense, but we're making the commitment, we're taking the risk. So people around the world can can listen in on these and, and watch as it unfolds in real time. So church leaders, even if you're not here and can't come in person, uh, you can you can sign up for free for the Saturday morning leadership sessions. So we have sessions for women and for men, for married men, for single men. Uh, and uh, it's it's just a wonderful variety uh, of, of things. And as you mentioned, Richard, there's a, such a spirit and a power there uh, every year. It's amazing. Yeah, the vulnerability and the honesty and mm -hmm. the community, it just brings a spirit. I sometimes yearn for that in my own congregations as we get sort And of once we get there and, as congregations, we won't need North Star anymore. Um, I firmly believe we'll we'll get there. I love that. Yeah. And learn to have these vulnerable, yeah. honest, safe mm -hmm. discussions at, mm -hmm. in our congregations in appropriate times. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. it breeds a spirit. It brings, um, I love Spencer Thompson's um, talk about the Savior and the Savior's wanting to take our burdens, just waiting to do that. It's, mm -hmm. I've listened to that a couple of times. It applies to every person on the earth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Even though he's sharing it as a North Star. I think he's the North Star president. He right is our now. current president. Yeah, he's I think doing it was his job. keynote last year yeah. or the year before. Mm -hmm. um, what about youth? If I'm a, a youth, I don't know what the youth age group is. If I'm a parent of a youth. Talk about um, youth and North Star. We have a youth track. Um, that's been a more recent thing, maybe the last three mm -hmm. or four. Yeah, four years we have. So Becky McIntosh. I would um, say 14 to 18 would be okay. a good age to four come. Yeah. And that's for, again, sexuality or gender issues. We They come to all the keynotes, but then they have separate Breakout section, so they're kind everything of everything else is separate. Uh, yeah. they have so their this own. breakout session doesn't even show the. Well, that's right. Mm -hmm. So the youth track is its own thing. They're together all day. That's Becky all McIntosh, are. that's a great idea. Becky, yeah. Becky and McIntosh, she has a team. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. she, has she has a team, a team. Who's, who's kind of led that. Very dedicated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a little trickier with the youth track because what happens there, you know, with adults, it's like this is what I want, and um, and so. I'm kind of seeking out these resources. Uh, of my own volition. Of my own volition. With youth, it's a lot of parents. This is what we want you to do. And so we're going to try to guide you this way. And so it ends up being a little bit more challenging with youth uh, because it's a lot of them don't want. I mean, they're, you know, they're, it's hard because with youth who want to stay in the church, they're typically not addressing these issues that early. No, they, they come uh, out later. They'll usually they come could. out after their missions or like early 20s. And so the people who are coming out pretty young, the younger people come out, the more likely they are to leave the church. So it's a little tricky trying to kind of hold that, hold space for them in, in a, a faith-affirming organization way. that isn't, uh, not trying to coerce them in any particular way. But Becky's just open and loving. And she's she's the perfect she, person to, yeah. do, to do is that. So that it's a, there is a trap, but... Is it true um, that the younger people, the younger, they're more likely, if they come out younger, they're more likely to leave the church? Uh, so I don't know. Culture, the culture around this has been changing so dramatically 
there was uh, there's some research on this, but it's a little dated, so it, it may not be like true. More are clearly coming out. We'll all agree that more are coming out, and it seems like they're just able to accept this part of themselves earlier. That heavenly parents have, per, you know, this is something heavenly parents aren't embarrassed about, or they should, you know, that's uh-huh. how they're created. So they seem to be able to come out earlier and have a better relationship. And I've seen more. I, I don't know. I don't know the data either. So here, so at one point, and this is, as you were saying, this is sort of dated research, the earlier people identified as gay, and the, er, the earlier they identified as gay and the earlier they came out, the more likely they were to leave the church. But the culture around this has changed so dramatically. Uh, it's probably 15, 20 years old, that data. So we what, don't know if it's... What tends to happen, and this is just my observation. Which I don't, is I don't think good there observation. Is, yeah, but I mean, this is 20 years of observation, but it's, but it's anecdotal. In the sense that um, for people who tend to stay, they're staying because they feel a deep spiritual call to stay. And usually the experiences that the spiritual and the seasoning and the deepening experiences that people have, they're happening They're You know, these are experiences that they're often having, having as they get a little older mission experiences. Um, most of the people who I know who stay have didn't really start opening up about this post mission. The people who I know, who I've worked with, who open up pre-mission, I don't, some of them stay maybe for some period of time, but I just think there is something about, there's a, there's less shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's true. There's less shame. Um, now. Now. But there's also less, often less spiritual rootedness. Mm-hmm. Right? And they're, they're much more kind of, they're, they're, a lot of they're influenced highly by culture and media mm-hmm. and the broader cultural, the broader cultural currents is, is entirely truth, hostile. Is live your truth. And, and that means one thing. Yeah. yeah there's only truth, one yeah. form of truth in that way. And yeah. it's kind of, uh, I believe it's incompatible. The assumptions and uh, beliefs and the worldview around the dominant narrative are actually incompatible with the gospel. So if you've adopted that kind of unthinkingly, you, you are going to come into this with the idea that I, I can't be true to myself. And this is, and so uh, if people want to look at that or challenge that because of maybe this spiritual rootedness that Ty talks about, then they might question those. But most people just adopt those narratives unquestioningly. And those inevitably, if they're unquestioningly adopted, I think they inevitably lead you away from the doctrines of the gospel. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I'm glad you're doing a youth section, and I'm glad mm-hmm. that the youth have a safe place to go. Yeah. And um, one of the work uh, Becky and, and some of the people that work with her do is a lot of that is about maintaining the relationship and the connection. With their families. With their families. So you can have some really beautiful uh, moments of connection between uh, parents and children uh, who are kind of pulling against each other and going a different way. And the parents want to bring them in. And, and obviously there's another challenge with the use that there's an age appropriateness. At 14, there's things that the parents shouldn't allow that they probably could and should allow at 18 or 17. So it, it's kind of hard to address those all together. But I think the universal thing we want to do is maintain those relationships, maintain those connections, and to model how it's possible for people with different faith commitments or different moral values to be able to maintain that relationship across that. And that is what I think North Star is uniquely positioned to do, mm-hmm. to say, look, if it, just because you're, you want to hold true to the doctrines of the church, that doesn't mean you have to give up your 
relationship with your child or you can't support them and love them and vice versa. You child, uh, you can still be yourself and, and be open and honest and have these conversations about what your goals are that may not align with what your parents' goals are and how you have those conversations so that it isn't just this uh, really angry, bitter conversation, but it actually can lead to more love and acceptance. What if um, I'm thinking of going to North Star, I'm a listener and I'm not keeping church teachings, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I'm same-sex dating, um, should I go to North Star? Would um, And would that be a good spot for me? Or if I feel like, you know, ultimately my path is a same-sex marriage, should I go to North Star? Um, would that be helpful for me? How would you answer that question? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. <clears throat> I think the, the the short answer is we want everybody to come who wants to be there and feels mm-hmm. like there's something that a value that they could could gain. Um, if you, know, you I, feel a connection uh-huh. to your Latter Day Saint faith uh-huh. and and some kind of affection for it, uh, I think you should have at least that. But I, otherwise, I don't know that it matters. Yeah, no. I mean, I know an I I know an individual who is mm-hmm. in a same sex marriage had left the church and three years ago felt this pull to come back and they are still married, but they're trying to find ways uh, to marry to a, to a man to connect to the church and to connect to a community of people who are believers. And, you know, he's kind of, he's not really sure what's going to happen with his relationship in the future. Right now he feels like that's where he needs needs to to be. be, but wants to reconnect to the church. And so, and somebody like that, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so he would, you, your message to somebody like that, they should feel they should safe come. He coming should, to yeah, North he, Star. He, they should no, come. Yeah. yeah. And no he, he does come and has a, good, to be following has a good experience. We mm-hmm. would want anybody to come who wants to be there. I mean, there is sort of a foundational thing that we kind of begin with a, a statement of belief and commitment. Just good. To yeah. the church. But wherever you are in relationship <laughs> to that, mm-hmm. if there is something of value that you could find, if it's connecting to community, if it's just a kind of, because the spirit's very powerful and there's nothing more powerful than listening <laughs> to a bunch of gay men sing hymns, right? I mean, it's just like, I mean, with these voices and I mean, it's just the the hymns. I mean, it's just so beautiful there. And so <clears throat> if it was just to feel closer to the savior, to, to, to worship, and that's something that they wanted, I think anybody could go. And even outside of that, if somebody doesn't have any strong connection to individuals, but they want to learn how do I, as a member of the church who wants to create a yeah. more Zion-like community that creates space for people in a number of different circumstances, you know, yeah. there are a number of sessions that can help them. I've, I've made some dear friends, Richard, minister. there that attend who don't have a personal connection to this issue, but they come because they learn how to love people of any kind of difference. And they love the spirit they feel there and they keep coming back. I think we do ask, uh, you know, if you're hostile or want to undermine yeah, or uh, if it isn't a place to meet somebody to hook up with, you know, we, we ask you to respect I, our values I and goals and good. direction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But otherwise, uh, if, come. if come, yeah. I think that's what the Savior would do and want. And anybody mm-hmm. that can come somewhere and wants to feel the Spirit and that's mm-hmm. in their heart is to connect with the Spirit and their mm-hmm. heavenly parents and and feel the influence of the Savior in their life. So I love your focus on that. I yeah. think and in fact, uh, if you don't mind, Richard, just briefly, we probably need to wind up here, but uh, 
Ty and I thought as we were talking about what we talk about that maybe we'd tell the story of Gentry last year. Were you there for that bit? Tell uh, me. So Gentry came. They were one of our keynotes, yes. and they're so talented. I was not there. But there, and, and we can give you the link. There's a there's a powerful LDS Living article about this that we'll send you the link that you can give your listeners. But their pianist, who's incredibly talented, he does all their arrangements. And he has had this very, very conflicted experience with his sexuality. He, ex he has this uh, part of his identity. And then, but he's also got this really strong connection to the church. And he's had really powerful spiritual experiences, but he also has this powerful estrangement he felt to God and the church. And uh, so he uh, told a bit of his story. I don't think he was planning on. I don't think the story. he was either. This was very spontaneous. But he one of the songs that Gentry sings, he wrote, and it's called "Just Believe." And but he wrote it in the context. It was like this revelation that came to him. The words just came to him in the context of his experience with, you know, same sex attraction. And he, um, but he said, "God, if you're giving me this, I don't want it if there's any strings attached." <laughs> right? He was really angry yeah. at God when it came. <laughs> But he wrote it down and they sang it. And I don't know that he had plans of actually sharing his story, but oh. before they sang it, they turned it over to him. And there was this kind of moment of... You could see them looking at each other like, do you I don't want know if to I go this, here or not? But he it's shared up to his you. story. Wow. And it was so beautiful. And the it's spirit was so, so strong, right? So powerful. That here's this song and Gentry has a music video that says nothing about sexual and gender identity, right? It has... But but his his writing of the song was very much in that intersection of conflict wow. and the revelation that God gave to him and sharing that and I mean, in this spontaneous way because he felt safe to do it. I mean that's the that's the kind of safe place safe place that we're trying to create and the healing yes. and the connection and the vulner you know vulnerability creates a th connection and healing mm -hmm. and. Yeah. Melts away shame to yeah, use your yeah. earlier. If phrase. you're looking yeah. for that uh, in a context of faith. Uh, I'm very confident because we're going on how many years? Eight years? Six years? <laughs> we'll, we'll, you'll have that experience here. Since we've done the conference? Yeah. 14 was our first conference. Yeah. So four, So this is six, seven. No, I think we're on nine. Spencer said 10 years. Next year's 10 years. I don't know. I don't know. That's the way this podcast goes. We sometimes don't know all the facts. But <laughs> no, we, know, we don't. <laughs> we know what we're trying to accomplish, which yeah. is stories and understanding and yeah. bringing us together. So um, any more thoughts either of you have? No, this has been great. I really appreciate you creating this space for us. So listeners, I, you know, as I stepped in the space as an ally, I kind of skipped North Star because of some of the negative things that I'd heard that I realized are not accurate. Um, and skip meaning I kind of I went to other groups and I see the good in other groups, but I've, I've it takes a while as an ally to sort of figure out all the players in the space and what everybody's you hear so much information, it's kind of back to this principle. If you want to know the best about North Star, go talk to the co-founders. Yeah. <laughs> or go attend North Star. Um, same true with any organization. So I have gravitated towards North Star um, in the last couple of years because I've just see, seen firsthand the good that North Star is accomplishing and the spirit that I felt there and the broad spectrum of, spectrum's a good word, but mm -hmm. of all the different breakouts and their focus on you know, we you can go. Please t tell people the website in case they don't go to the link. Uh, NorthstarLDS.org is okay. the website. 
and, and the slash conference if you want to. It's right on our main page right now, but if you want to do slash so conference, please you can check do that out too. that website. We'll link to it in the podcast. And please attend North Star. I love that you've got a virtual component. If you're a listener not avail- able to come to Utah, um, there's something that we've learned through COVID attending church that <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. I think we're going to scale into all these other mm-hmm. organizations and the ability for a North Star attendee mm-hmm. that might be closeted in a country that it's really yes. hard to be gay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they have a testimony of the church to be able to, or a leader mm-hmm. that's not quite sure mm-hmm. if he wants to yeah. show up at, or she wants to show up at North Star and doesn't mm-hmm. quite know mm-hmm. and but wants to learn about this space. So I think you're going to, if you came on this podcast in a few years, I think you're going to talk about that part of, of North Star in 2021 and how that's become a key part, even though it sounds like it's expensive, Jeff. But I, <laughs> yeah. Um, and if, if you're listening after June, uh, you know, get on our website. You yeah. can download this that's year's cool. We record everything so we, we can get that's that's cool. And we also have quarterly firesides. And thanks to COVID, we'll probably continue the tradition of live streaming, even as we're adding in more live events, which we feel spiritually we all feel as a board and leadership that it's important to get back meeting in person. But I think we're going to try to maintain the virtual. So uh, we try to have quarterly firesides and get together. So uh, the conference is just one thing we do. So no matter when you're listening to this, we've probably got an event coming up for you. It's great. And all of you that are involved with North Star in any way or have been it's it's a big organization, as these two yeah. men know. With a, it takes a lot of work that I don't probably understand to put together this conference. It's really a labor of love mm-hmm. um, to help us come together as the same human family. So thank you for Jeff and Ty, and thank of all of you for that are involved in North Star. Please attend, and thank you for listening to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Thank you.